When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back with our second episode with our special guest, Mr. Ryan L. Terry. Love having him here. We are our last last week. We did our top five uh, movies that won the Oscar. This week, we original did, song. Original yeah, original song. song. See, I can't even get through the well, intro. Guys. I know. He. Well, I I'm, I'm glad we brought him here. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> no, no, I got I got it. Okay, welcome back, guys. Last week, you got to spend a lot of time with us talking about our top picks for Oscar-winning original songs. And this year, we are returning to Hollywood with one of the most quintessential works of cinema out there. It is the Billy Wilder's masterpiece, Sunset Boulevard. And so we're going to go from uh, movies that uh, won awards, uh, songs that won awards, to movies uh, that uh, help define what Hollywood is or was, uh, the good of Hollywood, and what got Billy Wilder uh, chastised as a result of this movie, The Dark Side of Hollywood. That's how you open a show, Dave. That's excellent. Now, the, uh, the, the <laughs> last the last week's topic was chosen by Ryan, and as well, this week's topic, yep. Sunset Boulevard, So I think basically Ryan. this is his show now, yeah. so <laughs> that's why he opened it. So. Uh, this is also a first, what we, we do confession here, this yep. is the first viewing for both of us. Yep. And, Me, uh, ben and Dave. I'm Ben. That's Dave. Before we get too far, Ben, <laughs> yep. uh, we are uh, we are drinking this amazing beer. Yes, uh, this episode is sponsored by. Yes, procrast. Hello, we are procrastinators, uh, and we are being sponsored by Procrastination Brewing. Uh, they're a local little brewery here in Tampa. Uh, definitely check them out on Instagram. Uh, you can check them out on Facebook. Uh, we're drinking a beer called Bach to the future so love very it. fitting movie podcast love the brewery mo- movie love the themed name. beer, love the beer. yeah the beers great. yeah so malty so caramely just uh terrific beer uh go check out them uh their gofundme page they're trying to you know raise some money to help you know increase their uh increase their brewery you know maybe get more beers out there for you it's folks excellent. So. yeah reach out to them you want to have this beer yep. it's delicious all right, so there now, you go. Ryan is drinking water out of his metal can. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you can tell by the intro, he is much more lucid than the both of us. Uh, it's all right. Now, it's interesting because this is a 1950 movie, a classic, a famous movie, but we haven't seen it before. So, it's strange to get into a movie this far away. Right. I don't know Billy Wilder, the director. I really don't really... Okay. You know his films, though? Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe, See, Billy Wilder? It's a part of it. My wife had it on... So I don't know. So this is what I'm saying. I'm a I'm just a virgin here. William Holden. I know the name, but I was looking through his IMDb, and I'm like, I don't know if I've seen these movies. Gloria Swanson. She's she's sort of almost playing herself, sort yes. of in this film. Uh, Eric von Stroheim. I think I have that right. Stroheim. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille. Everybody knows Cecil B. DeMille playing himself, which I think is kind of a standout little bit that he has in this film. Uh, maybe most famous, at least if you look at his IMDb, is the movie The Ten Commandments, which I saw maybe 20 times. You know what else is really cool about uh, Cecil B. DeMille in this? Is he's, um, we actually visit the real set 
of Samson and Delilah. So in, in that scene, yeah. uh, and, uh, they're shooting what would become you know, these, his Samson and Delilah, albeit not quite as well known as the Ten Commandments. Right. It's, it's still, you know, because he was very known for these big sweeping epics. Epic period pieces. And yeah. so, yeah, so we actually visit that. So it's before meta became just almost blasé because everybody's talking about meta this and that today. You know, this is uh, uh, very meta. It's very self-reflexive. And, yep. and, and, and I like that. I like that bit where we're visiting the real set of uh, Susabita Mill who's commenting on... You know, on the current state of Hollywood at the time. But what's really interesting, though, is if you look at his boots, he's wearing like those riding riding crop boots, yeah, yeah, and which is really hearkening back to like real like nineteen twenties, thirties Hollywood. So here he is talking about you know transitioning from like uh, talkies with respect to you know Gloria Swanson's character, and he looks like you know he. You know, he's talking about making the transition, but he's also clinging to the past. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's, I think, you know, um, Billy Wilder's uh, you know, selection of him wearing those boots because you know, you don't because like it's a kind of that caricature of a director now. The big boots, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. The blowhorn, the bullhorn. But he's tugging and, into like yeah. that weird sort. Of, yeah. It's not even a bull, it's yeah. like a free bullhorn. It's like exactly. this little cup sort of thing that radiates everywhere. So before we dive deep into this film, I want to ask you just, Brian. What is it about? Why did you choose this movie without giving any details? Sure. What is it about it? Because obviously, I don't know if you knew that we hadn't seen this yet, but you know, why was this your pick? Uh, it's it's still capturing the eyes of the world today. Uh, it's been the inspiration of countless films, uh, including uh, David Lynch's uh, Mulholland Drive, uh, which came out in two thousand one, yeah. which is an excellent companion piece uh, to this. And there's a character for all of us in there. These are um, these are plots and characters which have con- continued to inspire uh, you know, present-day uh, filmmakers and gives us so much material to talking about. And uh, you know, Norma Desmond is just as alive today as she was back then. Uh, she, you know, just like we're uh, we we get we're analyzing Hollywood today. Billy Wilder was analyzing it back then, so I think it, yeah. there's that a uh, degree of related uh, related relatability, right? Yeah, it's 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 relevant. So yeah, exactly. It's so interesting to me that a film from 1950. So I mean, I would assume probably was probably filmed like in 1949 was already exploring how Hollywood is, and there's already stars that were stars back in the day, back in the 20s, maybe early 30s, who are now washed up in 1950, where yeah. it, 1950, it seemed like films were still kind of a new thing, you know? I mean, it's uh, it, it, a lot newer, you know, than it is now. Yeah. But yeah, it's just so interesting to see that aspect of it and then for them to already be exploring it kind of even reminds me of La La Land, you know, they explore yes. that old Hollywood feel. Yeah, very you know. much so. In, in the same way, it's a, it's ostensibly a Hollywood movie about Hollywood, but there's more than that, right? It's just it seems a bit simplifying to, to yes. call it that. It, yeah. It is uh, uh what I love about this film is uh, just like we're shedding a light on the dark side of celebrity today, he was doing that back then. Uh he um provides us with uh, characters and conflict uh, which we may very well have experienced or witnessed uh, in our own life. And you know, beyond what it means uh, historically or industry-wise, 
uh, there is uh, varying levels of significance for uh, all of those who watch it. And one of its strengths is to withstand uh, the test of time. And this is shown through its ability to connect people visually and emotionally. And you combine that with the technical aspects of this film. And that's what makes it uh, a masterpiece. It's also a masterpiece because it has the eyes of the world. Right. Uh, the movie has its ability to tell a story within a story. And um, and as you mentioned earlier, in many ways, Gloria Swanson is you know was a real life Norma Desmond, yeah. and she took on a role that was essentially a mockery of everything <laughs> that she once uh, stood for. Yeah. And it's those kinds of characters which just you know, grab us and hook us into the story. I mean, you know, uh, in screenwriting, you start with a with a big event or you start with your catalyst and then you get into your big event you know, your big event is towards the beginning of your story a dead and, man and a dead pool. man floating you it doesn't get any bigger than uh, right. that Finally, so though, i mean it was confusing because the narrate well this is a, a very well, this is a in, in a noir style i would say right yes in in a narration which i don't know if i didn't go back to listen to this but the narration was confusing cuz the narration was it was he and then i but the he was I always, right? Uh, the, oh, it switches. Like he like, then. Yeah, here's a man in a, in, a, in a pool and he died, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. we move along and I was, I'm here I am in my apartment writing about, you know, take you back six months later. I, I, you don't necessarily know. I think the movie is maybe trying to misdirect you that this is actually the, uh, the Joe Gillis character who is dead in the pool. Am, am I the only one here? Because well, yeah, the he... language is, it shifts from he to I, I think. I think it's it's done that um it was intentionally done that way because we weren't supposed to know that it was him at first cuz I think we would um disconnect ourselves from right. what, from yeah. what was being said if he had identified himself initially as a I dead died. man floating in the pool because yeah. this movie isn't about who done it this we we no. um, it's not a mystery it's not a mystery it is we want to. We know where we're going to wind up, but we are so intrigued by the oh, plot that we yeah. want to know how he got to this point. Because it's well known that in film noir, you know, it typically ends badly for your central character. I mean, <laughs> that that's not you know that you know that's not anything new. Uh, but we are so intrigued that we want to know what have we want to know yeah. more. We want to know all the details, and so we're instantly hooked. Yeah, it's and so we're hanging it's, on to every it, word. It's interesting because yeah, it shows us the that end, and we're like want you know wanting to know what how it, we get to that point. But during the movie, I think my wife even turned to me and said like, "Where's this movie going?" I'm like, "I don't know." Obviously, it's going <laughs> to when he dies in the pool, but it's right. just like, but where is this going? It's not about but, the destination; yeah, it's yeah. about the journey. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly. that subtle third person to first person is saying. Yes, this is important, but don't focus on this. Let's pay attention to the journey. Yeah, sort of thing. It's, I think of it as it's not exactly a MacGuffin, but it, it bears many characteristics yeah. uh, to a MacGuffin because it's certainly what uh, you know launches us into the story. Yeah. But it's not necessarily what the story is about, like the money in Psycho. The right. the movie Psycho is not about the money. The money is just what launches us, you know, into the plot, right. and so. Yeah, it does. It's not exactly MacGuffin, but I think it's very similar 
uh, to sure. a MacGuffin. Speaking of MacGuffins, uh, the one that we actually do get is the car. I'm sorry. So William Holden, who, who plays Joe Gillis, we basically would uh, ends up. He's a we established that he's a writer, and then a couple of guys knock on his door, and they're we'll just call them repo men for his car. He's not paying his bills. He's a he's a he's an unsuccessful writer. Kind of he, nice the way he's he's very delayed <laughs> yeah. in, in paying his bills. Yes. <laughs> it, it would be nice if you were three months behind on a car payment and only you need to pay three hundred dollars for three I know, months. Right? Like, oh yeah, man. Where's that world? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking yeah. of just a, not to go tangent, but uh I love old movies when they show you old California. I feel like yes. I've never been there, obviously. I've never been to fifties California, sixties California. We go, we we did Vertigo, uh, beautiful yeah. nineteen uh, late fifties, early sixties, mm-hmm. fifty eight, San Francisco, yeah. fifty eight, mm-hmm. beautiful. It feels like there's like a almost like a paradise lost in old California that just isn't there anymore. Yeah, I know what's uh, kind of sad is um, when I had uh, friends. Uh, I mean, I have friends that lived out there. When I had the opportunity to first go visit them. You know, I wanted to go see all these landmarks. Uh, specifically, I wanted to go to Norman Desmond's mansion. I wanted to go to Schwab's, you know, pharmacy. The only Schwab's drugstore I've been to is the one at Universal Studios Was here in chain? Florida. Uh, no, oh, the, okay. the Schwab's, uh, the famous, you know, famous drugstore in Hollywood. So there are all these landmarks that I wanted to see. But uh, when I went out there trying to find these landmarks, they don't exist anymore. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I noticed about Los Angeles is it's it's constantly a city that's reinventing itself, right. but it doesn't seem to have an appreciation for like the historic magic preservation yeah. Yeah. because buildings be torn down, and so it becomes like the globalization where yes. we have to have a Walgreens. Yeah. Or, well, like, and actually, the Schwab, where sh- the famous Schwab's drugstore was, is now Schwab's Walgreens. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> like it is. I feel bad oh, even man. saying that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's almost like Los Angeles doesn't even hold itself up to that, I guess, standard of nostalgia and things so, like that. I tried to find some uh, some landmarks. You can find uh, Joe Gillis's apartment, yeah. the Alanito apartment, still there, so you can you can visit that. Uh, I mean, you can um, kind of visit where uh, Norma's mansion was. If you're interested in seeing Norma Desmond's mansion in color, though, it is one of the sets in Rubble Without a Cause with James Dean. Oh, okay. So that is that is her mansion, and it was soon after that that it uh, was you know bulldozed over. But it belonged to the famous Getty family, who we know from yeah. All the Money in the World is right. Getty movie. Oil, and so it's uh, Getty Images. Uh, so it's okay. that yeah. it's that Getty family. Those Getty's, um, Getty's man. Getty family <laughs> mansion. the money. Yeah. So this uh, delinquent car payment thing turns into a th- this w- this is the MacGuffin. This, this is the MacGuffin. The movie, right? And then he's escaping these guys later. He gets a blown out tire, drives up the driveway to. He doesn't know where he is, what he's doing, and he ends up in this place which he thinks is sort of abandoned, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, I'll just put my car in this garage, and there are like five, yeah. six garages, and he notes that uh, this one car. He's like. He says something about it. This looks like this takes 10 gallons to a mile, yeah. which is like the invert. We do gallons mm-hmm. or miles per gallon now. Right, yeah. So 10 gallons <laughs> to a mile, what's that, like 0.2 miles per gallon? Something I mean, you'd like be that, in an yeah. empty yeah. tank <laughs> before you went down the street or something. Yeah, that, yeah. I, uh, I saw it at Freshini, uh, uh, is I believe the exact vehicle is still on display in a museum in Italy. I don't remember if it's Rome or Florence or Milan, really? but I, uh, at least, uh, 
the last time I read the Wikipedia article on it, you could still uh, see the car, but it really was. It was a really unique vehicle. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and in today's money, that vehicle would have been well over six figures. Yeah. Oh, wow. I believe yeah, it. That's... How about the, when they're driving, she has that little phone thing? <laughs> car <that> phone, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is, you can, you know, yeah. you're not that far. Yeah. You're like, you know, three feet away. You can just, yeah, yeah. Well, they, at one point, they Max. are talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the old, like, yeah. telephone on the, on the string. Yeah. The, but it's just, uh, yeah. So I mean, you obviously got this, you know, down and out, you know, screen screenwriter trying to get, you know, something written. What does he want? Uh, bases loaded. That's that's what he wants yeah. written. Um, and he's even willing to do just additional dialogue. Right. He, yeah. just, he wants to. He's not looking for a handout. Right. He's uh, he's looking for a hand up. I guess right, is yeah. how we yeah. might describe it today. Because yeah, he wants to work and 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 we're told early on that he uh, is known to have some talent. You know, he's mostly credited. Uh, with a bunch of B movies, but I, I think this movie, uh, this character is important to us. You know, Joe Gillis's character, Joe Gillis and Norma Desmond, uh, because uh, it, it's any of us who are affected with um, uh, some uh, depression. And I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not. I know I'm not maybe using depression, you know, uh, exactly correctly. But right. like we're, we're affected with some depression. Yeah. We might be affected with some agoraphobia, and I feel as though uh, many actors and industry professionals who aren't performers can understand what he was going through. So, right, all, yeah. so all of us who have those it's, aspirations, we we can identify uh, with the mind, and because we we've all been there, you know, feeling like we have so much to give the world, our community, or to the arts, and but there's no one who wants to right. acknowledge it. So Norma isn't going through. Joe Gillis isn't going through anything that we have not been through before. Right, and that's why we love these characters. Yeah, the logistics of what they're going through might be a little foreign to us, yes. but like the overall yeah spectrum of what they're going through, it's so relatable. You know. It's he's even in you know kind of survival mode uh, at that point you he know is. when he's talking to his uh, agent at the golf course and his agent says you know his agent's a dick yeah absolutely oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like but you know uh, I when, could you loan you the money uh, but that won't make you strong right but you need you need to be scraping but you basically in order for you to make the kind of thing you need to make or write is you need to basically be homeless right yeah he says death, he says some, have your masterpiece something yeah, along the balls lines are as small as the golf ones that he's playing <laughs> yeah. with. there's his uh line is essentially uh yeah, you have to be. If you're starving, that means you have to. You have to sit in front of a typewriter. You have no choice. So you're in that survival mode of, you know, okay, I gotta write. I gotta, you know, show my worth. Um, and then just, it just by chance that he happens at uh, at this mansion, you know, and it's all because of his debt. It's all because of his problems. But then he's kind of, I guess, in a way, uh, hits the jackpot. I mean, <laughs> but, sort of, yeah, sort of, but it, it, you know, in a Twilight from, Zone kind of yes, way. Yes, and that's what when we were talking about Twilight Zone last episode, this movie totally felt like Twilight Zone. At especially once uh, his stuff arrived at that apartment he stayed at above the garage, yep. I was like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" <laughs> I mean, so just to sort of set the stage, if you're not familiar with the film, we. He happens upon this a mansion, almost like a castle of a mansion, right? Walking right. through the inside, there's this concrete, there's these columns. doesn't look like a house, really. It's more he calls like, it a big white elephant of a place. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's crazy. So this is uh, uh, 
Gloria Swanson, uh, who plays Norma Desmond, who is a old. She was a film, a silent film yes. star who is no longer in movies as things have transitioned into talking roles. The talkies. She was, she was famous, and she's just not. She's sort of. She's got a lot of money, but she's not working anymore. She. And she is, has. Oil and Bakersfield pumping, pumping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's got a million dollars. She's got all you know, so much more money than yeah. all this new Hollywood trash. <laughs> right, and it's kind of interesting the fact that her wealth is just sort of a thing that she has. It's not mm-hmm. anything that really satisfies mm-hmm. her. She, she got her her sense of worth from her work, and she doesn't have it anymore. She doesn't. She really doesn't care that she has all this money because she's like, oh, you need money. Here's money. Right. You need, you know, it's like we won't keep books. You know, we won't be petty. She, you know, she's she's the Amazon. Right. She's yeah. got bot. She's got a bottomless wallet, mm-hmm. and so she doesn't really. She doesn't care about the money. She, you know, her self worth came. She identified with her work. Right. And so uh, that's where her self worth comes from. And so when that was taken away from her, she lost uh, her identity. So she's existing in this in this bewildering. A space right. uh, that lies between glory and the fall of celebrity. Is there any? Uh, I mean, you're the you're the you're the screenwriting guy, so I got to ask. You, I mean, so he he happens upon this place, you know, just again, just just happens upon this place when he's in debt. He's owes a lot of money to. I think he's behind at his apartment, behind at his car, and he's then a yeah, he's a dead yeah. Essentially, he's a deadbeat. Um, and then. He happens upon this place when they're expecting someone to be there and yes. says something about a little coffin. Uh, oh, how weird is all of this? Exactly. This so is I mean, totally like, bizarre from place. from a screenwriting perspective, like, what is that a certain technique at all, or is that just? I, I don't know. I, I feel like that freak out the audience. Uh, like, yeah, I don't know. Just were, were uh, at a funeral of a chimpanzee. No, just uh, that this person happens to be. At this place where someone's expecting them to be, someone's expecting someone, so they assume that 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 it's that person. I just, I, I, I might this, just be. It's the screen, right? It's uh, Billy Wilder's way of thrusting him into this world because had uh, Norma and Max not been expecting the, uh, I guess, the Undertaker, right? Uh, then he would probably not have ever met Norma because he would have been shooed away. And I think Max was Max figures out early on he's not the Undertaker, but I think uh, Max uh, there was something about uh, Joe that Max liked uh-huh. because uh, Max has a has a, a certain fondness uh, for Joe because I think he saw in him some like that you know, perhaps you know perhaps there's something more here and so I think right. he has. Yeah, maybe he has a shining. I don't know. Right. Like yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He senses that there's something, that there's something more here. But it was like that was the the means to get him to thrust him in there, and it, and it's also important because it's it's already developing the character of Norma. It is setting her up because I mean the only other person with a chimpanzee as a pet, you know, is the the late Michael Jackson. So I mean <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. who else yeah, right. you know, has a chimpanzee it's a total freak as, show. as soon as you see a dead person there, yeah, or a dead something there. Like Of course we don't know it's a chimpanzee right. first because she's describing him yeah. as you know as as her best friend yeah. and and like it's like all the you know it's the lavish, you know, coffin. I'm thinking it's and, like her husband or something, yes. right? Mm-hmm. 
No, but no, it's her. Then, yeah, like, what? best friend. He's like he liked to poke the fire. Yeah. What the hell was she letting this chimp do? Just right. go around the house, yeah. do whatever the hell it wanted. It's uh, like, but yeah, as soon as they on. revealed the chimp, the first thing I thought was Michael Jackson. I was like, oh, wow, okay. So they even had chimpanzees. It also back gives then? you a glimpse into her mind because the way she describes her best friend, you know, you think it's a person, but then you find out, you know, it's an animal. And yes, yeah. some animals, you know, have higher degree of intelligence than others, but it doesn't replace. Uh, human companionship. But of course, we learn later on that she's really scared of humans. Right, yeah. And so she she was able to make that connection uh, with the um, uh, with Joe. And uh, I, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we have a cat who's apparently in heat <laughs> yeah. uh, by, uh, behind me. So, um, so we'll just have to... Uh, he's he wanted to chime in to the conversation. Yeah, you know, he's just, just like, feeling, like, oh, uh, feeling left out. My cat here, he's going crazy. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that if it's making it on mic. No, the, uh, I think you, you know, never before had there been a film that was developed around this idea of what happens to a star you know, after they're rejected or what happens yeah, to a writer when they are rejected by the very industry that created them, you know, hence the, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, a very similar scene in, uh, American beauty, which has uh, very, some, uh, very similar characteristics. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was actually going to bring that up when, oh, uh, yeah, cause ahead. at the very beginning, you know, uh, Lester Burnham in American beauty says, you know, in less than a year I'll be dead. So yes. it's just like, you're waiting for that throughout the film, it's but like it's how and yeah, why, but you're, but you're not it, at the same time. You're again, like this movie, you're not, too worried about that because you're just invested in what's going on again like we said before the journey rather than the actual actual destination but and it's uh, interesting because she in her in her own way is kind of her own destination she's sort of like a black hole in a sense she's <laughs> like the center of a universe that's only about her and everyone kind of gets sucked into it and once you get sucked into that orbit it's like you can't really quite escape it and it's sick and crazy, but it's real. Very well, Twilight Zone. And it uh, kind of stems from, in her prime, the world almost literally revolved around her. At right, least yeah. Hollywood yeah. revolved around her. <laughs> exactly. And she you know, essentially you know, could never, was so, was so addicted to it, it's like a drug. Right, so yeah. I think we could almost read... Uh, drug addiction in this because celebrity you know can be a drug you know there are you know i think that's why we have a proliferated you know amount of uh youtube celebrities and because you know, there's this idea of you know i have to be famous i right, want to be yeah. famous it's not even you know i you know, i have something that i want to share and it would be great to be famous to be nice to be famous but ultimately i want yeah. to share this to know i i want to be famous so how can i be famous and so the idea of a celebrity becomes kind of a drug and i think we see that played out on on social media as well so you could uh, read her character yeah. as someone who's uh, addicted yeah. to drugs I mean, absolutely and she 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 fills it with like this artificial like pump, which is uh, through the people around her who are willing to like feed into this and delusion. just indulge her. Yes. Yeah, she needs that. Well, we not that we want to jump right into the end here, but that's essentially what's going on. She wants to go back to that 
That's really right. all she has to live for. I, she she kind of rejects the new Hollywood, but at the same time, she still needs that attention. Needs that, you know. That. Yeah, she needs the attention, and you know the, the the. I don't even know if it's new versus old. She just wants the attention, and and new has rejected her, and she just won't accept it. And the only thing she really wants is that. Same she's thing. uh she's a hipster then. Sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think she has a preference. I mean, if, if if she could get along in New Hollywood, I think she would. But no. she doesn't understand that she's she's a has been. It reminds me of something. I can't think of it. It's on the tip of my tongue. But uh, is there are people drawn to her? Like, is is Joe addicted to her in a way? Like, is he well, kind of seduced by her? Just seduced by the money? Because what's the one thing? Yeah. What's the first thing that we know about? Joe. I mean, I guess we learned that uh, he's, he's a writer, but then we learned that he's poor. So, yeah. what does you know every uh, person who has lack of means? Mm-hmm. You know, what do they? What do they want? Yeah. You know, they want more money, and then sometimes they get that more money, but then they lack the discipline to manage it. Right. And so, I think he is attracted to the money, and in fact, that's the whole reason he takes the gig because he needs the money. So, even though he thinks her. Uh, her childlike scrawl on the pages of, of her screenplay of uh, he uh, you know uh, is willing to indulge it but then he uh to your point dave he he gets sucked into her world and it's not until later he realizes he's trapped and so right, he yeah. uh he uh, he gets in there and he decides gee this is actually um yeah, maybe this isn't so it's bad. Well, no. I can go along. I guess the reason I bring that up too is just you know, it, it, are people uh, seduced by her? You know, drawn into her because you know we're, we're not. We're not well, yeah, yes. well, we're not. We're not going scene by scene here because I'm about to reveal something that happens way towards the end. But like, if you this, haven't we seen find, this movie, yet, yeah, I, don't <laughs> listen. Yeah, so 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 we find out that well, this. That we find out this butler, the serving guy, Max, was her first husband, yes. and was, he comes I back. That was a, Un- it's, uh, almost an unneeded reveal. Yeah, there was. Uh, you could tell the age of the film in that reveal. Yeah. Like, I didn't know if we were supposed to laugh or if it was supposed like, to. We were just missing the uh, the score that goes dun dun dun. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but uh, see, I mean, I guess that's why I asked. Like, is there something to her that people are seduced by and can't yeah. can't resist? Is he's back as and he's willing think, to be her servant? I think they love her. I think okay. they genuinely yeah. uh, love Norma, and so therefore. They're willing to do. He loved her so much yeah. that he was willing to do whatever it yeah. took to to support her. Because we also learned that you know that her uh, depression, her clinical depression, has given way to not only suicidal thoughts but attempts at suicide. Right, yeah. right. And so he doesn't he doesn't want to see her die. You know, he still sees her as the star that she definitely was. And and to her credit, you know, it sounds like she did build Paramount Studios. And so it yeah. is. There's a, a lot riding on her, right. and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to see his star fall. So he was willing to take a backseat and to go from uh, being a, a director who worked alongside Demille, which we learn, and uh, play a different role in order <laughs> for her to continue playing the role she wants, which is the role that she constantly would see on her sure. c- the, her yeah. celluloid self. Yeah. Now, I want to come back to that, but one thing I do want to say is I can't imagine... I agree so much because I understand her motivation, Norma's motivation. She's, she's Time has passed her by. She has wealth, but she still desires that, that love, that adoration. 
it's harder to understand his motivation throughout all of this because he's a younger man. We assume what somewhere in his twenties, early thirties. My twenties, thirties, yeah. We find out she's fifty, which by then, those standards, she was an old crone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just yeah, really we, not the case. And Paul Rudd is fifty, right? Uh, exactly. So. <laughs> but it's hard to imagine why he does anything he does. It, it, it's not simple. He can't just be like, "Eh, this is comfortable." There must be something more about her that's drawing her into him. It's her, he... it's her manic depression. It's her, her. There's that scene where he's sort of bored and she's doing like these dan- tap dancing routines for her to entertain him. He gets sucked into her world deeply. It's not just I like the money, because that's just right. th- to me that doesn't compute. He wants to write just like she wants to act. He wants to write, and so he sees this as his opportunity to have everything provided for. I mean, what does every writer want? Every writer wants to have their bills paid and have their rent paid, their mortgage paid, and then they could just you know be at home. But he seems and, and, to and reject they... any sense of wanting to write. He's, he's got this story that uh, the, uh, the uh, Betty Schaefer... Well, I don't... Nancy I don't Olsen, comp- she's like, you've got your story. He's like, nah, I'm taken care of. I don't care anymore. And then he's got to find like his humanity back. I just don't get why he's so... I'm cool. Well, he comes you know, back to it, the, the writing, because that's, I mean, that's where everything really falls apart, is you know, where Norma discovers a screenplay that is uh, by Joe Gillis yeah. and, uh, and uh, Betty, Schaefer. Betty Schaefer. And so, no, I think he does want to write. I think he gets lost yeah, ex- in, yes. in, in her orbit for a while, but yes. I don't think he really ever loses his dream of writing because he's the one who, um, all the resistant at first, you know, he's the one who you know, partners with with Betty to to write the screenplay and and until things just just uh, fell apart at the very end, that he you know, wanted to like he wanted to be a writer. He he got lost in the enormous celebrity so and being taken like care spell? of. He's under a spell. Okay, I can yes. accept that. Okay, he's in the Twilight Zone. He's in the Twilight <laughs> Zone. Crossed over what to this the is? Other world. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, and that I mean, it is cross, it is like crossing over into another world when you absolutely when you enter that mansion. It's not real. There's it, no. It's unreality in that place, right? I mean, what? Go ahead. No, I was going to go on a different subject. So if you had something, well, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was, was going to say one of my favorite reveals in the movie is you know how she's been sending her screenplay to Paramount, oh. uh, and <laughs> she you know assumes she gets a, a call from Cecil, Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille, um, and you know they roll up there and you know uh, in that I saw car. The is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. And then, uh, so yeah, they roll in. They, they, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's uh, doing a doing a movie. You know, he's uh, directing a movie, as you already said earlier. Um, and you know, they're like, you know, I've been getting a call from this guy. He said, "Oh, you've been getting a call from him." He calls him and he says, oh, "Gordon, oh, yeah. Cecil B. Here. Gordon yeah. Cole, That's Gordon, the... Gordon Cole." And Gordon Cole says, "Yeah, we uh, saw her car driving on the lot, and the guys want to rent it." Uh, for a movie, uh, and that's why we've been her. calling him. Yeah. And I was like, "Whoa!" Like I was actually like caught Just off guard by that. I was like, <laughs> "I, I, I yeah, really that's... feel for her because yeah. she has, you know, this is the moment she's been dreaming of, you know, ever since you know she was probably it's probably in sometime in her twenties is probably yeah, when she yeah. when she stopped acting. So this is the moment she's been waiting for for twenty or thirty years, right? And then when you find that out, it is soul crushing. Yeah, but uh, Demille. 
is still under her spell because he also doesn't tell her. Max yeah. doesn't tell her. Uh, Cecil doesn't. Uh, Demille doesn't tell her. And eventually, Gillis tells her. But even he he doesn't uh, tell her for the longest time. So all of these men are under her spell. It's like she, because she was a vixen when she was younger, yeah. but it's like she still has those vixen powers. Right, yeah. Uh, even as uh, an actress who has, um, at the time, you know, aged out of the business and just uh, more, you know, more specifically, kind of like we get glimpses of in the, in the um, Singing in the Rain, uh, just not able to transition to to talking. So I think it was a combination right, yeah. of an unwillingness to change, and the fact that Hollywood, as harsh of a place as it is now, you know, there's a bit more positive body image, but you know, still probably not as much as everybody would like to see. But back then, it was just really like. Uh, you're pregnant. Oh, abortion. You're pregnant. Yeah. You yeah. still want to work. And so yeah. it's like, here's drugs. I mean, it's like, cause you were forced to look a certain way. And right. if you, if you got too old and I mean, if you're a guy, nobody really seemed to care. But if, but if uh, you're um, a woman in, in acting, then you were held to these outrageous, unrealistic standards. And even Norma, you know, being the queen of Hollywood yeah. was unable to no Helen yeah. Mirren's right. No Helen Mirren's right. Yeah. yeah. Judy Dench. Now this hits on an idea of, uh, in the movie that goes on is just the idea of not living in reality, right? Now, obviously, Norma's not living in reality. <laughs> but from what, what little I know of Hollywood and some things I've heard and read is that almost no one will... The, the Cecil B. DeMille conversation with Norma is fairly accurate in the sense where no one will tell you you suck. No one will tell you directly. They'll essentially sort of... Oh, that's a great screenplay. You know, obviously, we're just not picking it up. We're not hiring you to do the job. But you did really good. No one's going to say no. Maybe because that person you might say you suck is going to end up being the Steven Spielberg who's going to destroy your life sort of thing. And, just, you know, that sort of play there. But from what I understand, everyone sort of lies to each other and keeps up this illusion because no one really knows what the money makers are going to be or that sort of thing. So you kind of protect yourself. But we're all lo- living under these delusions. So many, there's so many facades and pretenses yes, right. just all through varying degrees, all through the film. And it's, it's just nuts. I mean, yeah. it, it's. It's hard. It's I guess the Twilight Zone thing, right? Yeah. What's what? Who's real? You know, what is a real feeling? What's actually kind of happening? Yeah, and it's almost yeah. I mean, he's he's in this different reality too. I mean, <laughs> he has to go out at night as so she doesn't know. <laughs> what time you know? Is he, yeah. When yeah. is she going to the? I'm just curious. Yeah. She goes to bed and then he leaves, but everyone else is out. Does she go to bed at like eight o'clock or something? Uh, like that? I, I, I don't know, but well, she, I'm sure she wants her beauty sleep. Yeah, she, that's so she true. might go to bed eight nine o'clock. Yeah, I'll put that little mo- or montage or little scene of all the whatever the latest technology, the beauty treatment. Oh right, yeah, when she's getting ready for her role. Yeah, that's yeah. it's uh, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, you kind of feel sad for her because she's there's no role to get ready for here. You know, it's uh, it's definitely well, she, sad. She uh, is about to. You she does play the the biggest role of her life there uh, at the end. You know, not only right. is she on film once again, but she is uh, headlining newspapers, right. and she even makes a uh, head of hopper playing herself makes yeah. head of hoppers column. And you know the you know, um, it's just she does, and it's again Twilight Zone because she actually 
she you know gets what she wants right. it's yeah. just not yeah uh we know it's not what she was going for but in her mind right. this is still on your the way to being arrested for murder yes hey you get to walk down the stairs as a star <laughs> she has like no idea <laughs> no, she's completely no completely snapped at, at that point but what's great is the journalists are almost like oh we don't really care that this like no name writer is dead we're just fascinated by norma desmond right yeah what, you know what drove her to do this and so you know we, we we don't care about the dead body and i think that's the 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 irony in that last scene there's a dead body floating in the pool but we don't really care about right. who that is because he for all intents and purposes in hollywood he was a nobody yeah but nobody yeah she's a somebody and so why? Yeah, it kind of yeah. it gives you the yeah. Uh, I mean, even even today, I mean, just the backwards thinking of the media and just the yes. just everything. So just much like, dark sarcasm. Right, yeah. And so this is one of the first films to include a lot of that dark sarcasm is and dark humor. Sarcastic yes, constantly. I I laughed like quite a bit in this movie, but funny. not like ironically. Like he's it was, a bit I was of a dick, actually. Though, right? he is. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was something specific that uh, oh, I, I, I shouldn't even said that because I can't think of it right this second. But um, <laughs> I want to uh, go back just a second to this walking down the staircase scene, which is the end of the movie. I was struck by the uh, the concept of an enabler, and uh, Max, uh, her butler, first husband, and the idea of a meta. We t- we talked about this mm-hmm. at the top. Now, this the man who played Max was an actual director. Yes. And the, and we go back further to uh, she has this living room where there's there's tapestry where you pull back up it's a cinema they're looking at a movie this is actually a movie and I, I I'm not I'm not one to do my history but this is actually a, a, a movie of Gloria Swanson a silent film directed by that same yes. guy Erlich oh really Stronheim. I didn't realize exactly. that exactly wow it is so meta yeah. Because he, it's them. He literally directed her, and now they're playing those same characters in a sense. And then at the end of the movie, he's directing her to the news camera. Again, that's why it surprises me that this is in There's 1950s. So yeah, there, this is in 1950, and there was already washed up people and already had careers <laughs> in the movie industry. It's just, yeah, she's it's, all about you know she she hates you know dialogue. You know, we start off like she hates dialogue, hates dialogue. Uh, one of the things I love pointing out to them is she is so opposed to dialogue yet delivers some of the best dialogue, some of the best, I guess a monologue, but she yeah. delivers one yeah, of the yeah. best monologues ever, even though that, that's, that's the irony because she hates dialogue, but she gives us this amazing <laughs> right, <yeah>. monologue. So <laughs> cool. she, you know, she, her whole, you know, she talks about how she once had the eyes of the world and she yeah. wants those eyes of the world again. I'm big, but, it's the pictures um, that got small. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, lo- I love that line, which is on AFI's, you know, top 101 uh, 101 quotes. So she's all about the the eyes, but she also has the ears because we have some of the most famous lines in all of cinema uh, in here. Uh, the I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Right. Uh, we have... Um, <laughs> it's just so... It's, it's so great. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the most famous one at the end of the movie, which everybody's heard, but yeah. maybe not know where it's from. I'll write... The, and the often misquoted. You know, I'll write, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Right. And another line I love is... We didn't need dialogue. We had faces, which you used to be able to hear at the end of Great Movie Ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Which is now defunct. Which is, yeah, it can be Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway and still the replica of Grauman's Chinese Theater. Mm. Um, 
Oh, and speaking of the replica of Grauman's Chinese Theater, that is the only place in the world uh, where you can see uh, Audrey Hepburn's handprints because really? she actually doesn't have handprints in the 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 uh, at the at Grauman's Chinese Theater uh, okay. on Hollywood Boulevard, but you can see uh, Audrey Hepburn's handprints there. And and when they asked her, she's like, "Really? People still care about me because because it, it opened in '89, so she was still alive." Yeah. And so so she came in, and so she was just very happy. Wow. To be able to do awesome. that, and you can also find all the Golden Girls Ooh. are also in their forecourt of Grauman's Chinese Theater. Nice. So there's nice. Uh, some real like, Arthur. Uh, landmarks there. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. You're looking for the B. Arthur. That's right. <laughs> uh, I love B. Arthur. She. I want to be Amazon shopping cart right now because you can get the pop vinyls of Ooh, all the golden Ooh, nice. Yes. We, we don't want to go Betty Davis. Well, I was going to say Betty Davis. So that was too obvious. So I went Betty Arthur. White. I mean, Betty White, sorry. Betty, come I, on. I, Speaking I, of Betty Davis, this I movie also that. reminded me of uh, <laughs> Forgetting Baby Jane, yes. which is a lot like this about a washed up. She was a what child, child act. Oh, yes, whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yes. Yep, exactly. What did I say? Baby Jane? Anyways, but yeah, we, we, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, so it definitely it had those feels to it, too. I got a question for all of you because I, I just, my mind goes to different places. So it seems like, so Norma and Joe, they're, I guess, a couple, but, right? I mean, I, first thing is, does he really like her? Which I think we've sort of settled on the idea that he's sort of trapped into this orbit that he can't get away from. He kind of has to like her if he wants to wants to survive. So perhaps there's a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome there. Yeah. yeah. Because he kind of is a bit of a prisoner. He doesn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. Right, yeah. Now, but on the other side, for her... And then when he does try to go, she tries to commit suicide, yes. so he feels bad about that. that and that's when we get that... manipulation. Yeah, mm-hmm. we get that first... I think that's when he kisses her at midnight. I mean, that's like, yes. you know, the first step of a healthy relationship is if you leave, I will kill myself. That's... Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah exactly. But I, I wonder, I sort of thinking from her perspective, does he become sort of an avatar for just a man hmm. or just an attention thing that I can hold on to and be my like uh, my almost like a mannequin? That's what I felt like she wanted, just a guy to be there that I can have my band playing, so I can dance with him and like touch a him and entertain. Life size Ken doll, yeah, kind of. like like animatronic. <laughs> Kendall, is that really all she wanted? Just so look at all my pictures. Look at me. I'll dance for you and entertain you. It's yeah. all about, does she even give a shit about him? I don't know. I mean, she's had three husbands. He's could have potentially been the fourth. Um, right. So I, yeah, it, it feels yeah. hollow to me that she's yeah. just looking for a, a stand-in. Well, I, for, for me, well, I think it initially was he was her in to get back into the movies because he's a, yeah, he's a writer yeah. and you know could help her with her script, her terrible, but she's childish handwriting anyway. I mean, the, the, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe speaking of funny, I, I love towards the beginning when he's you know contemplating and narrating the movie. I, I love the use of narration in this movie. I think it's great. Um, but he's just like I'm looking at her handwriting or something. I got a dead monkey upstairs, and <laughs> <laughs> like it was just, just I forget how the line is actually yeah. delivered. That eerie but yeah. organ and yeah. the wind uh, <laughs> yeah. was through there. It was just like, hey, like it's like you house. can't make this stuff yeah. up. No. And yeah, this is like it, like it's his reality, right? Yeah, <laughs> and this is where we have to try to understand what a 1950 audience is thinking. And this is what we struggled on when our, our last episode, or maybe two episodes ago, Cool Hand Luke. Which I think was more of a comedy than we got. There's a lot of laughs, and some of them were sexist, sexist and crass. Not that that's necessarily 
not that we are always railing against that, but there were some jokes there, you know, that what's a, you know, yeah. for an audience, it doesn't always translate across. And in this one, I think maybe the audience might have been a bit more freaked out than we, I mean, I'm freaked out now. And that's what I kind of think. Yeah. 1950. I'm assuming well, they were quite disturbed by what they saw. He, uh, I, I know you uh, know a little bit about the backlash Wilder got from this. So I mean, is that part of it? Just yeah. the shocking nature it, it, of it? it? It was very shocking because he was, uh, you know, being quite the cynic of the industry that he was a part of, and uh-huh. and you know, he was early enough a part of Hollywood that industry that that he built. And you know, it was uh, very shocking to to have the um, the the veil removed, and so you were removing the rose tinted glasses, looking uh-huh. at Hollywood, and it was one of. I, I, I'd like to say the first time, but I don't know for sure. But it's at least one of the first times, you know, that we're getting a candid look at this right. industry, and so we we've truly gone behind the camera. Uh, in a way that um, had never been done, and so then producers in Hollywood were like, you know, they were chastising him because you're 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 biting the hand that feeds you. You know how you know how can you how can you do this? You're making a mockery yeah. of everything that we stand for. And but I think he saw a real story there, and it is a story that we that was uh, as relevant then. Which is a, it's as relevant today as it was then, you know. Hence why we are, you know, still uh, talking about it. And the writing was uh, so outstanding that on the WGA's best screenplays of all time, it ranks at number seven. I oh wow! It. Wow! And it reminds me of the reason why we keep getting new iterations of A Star Is Born. It's for that same reason. You need that cleansing, like self-correction. Like there's something wrong. There's something inherently wrong in the entertainment industry. It sucks the soul out of people. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. Of course, Hollywood doesn't like being exposed for its underbelly and the bad downsides. But it's real. I mean, most of us look. I'd like to be rich, but I don't want to be famous. That's. I mean, that's me. Like. That part of me where I need to be like adulated or you know that sort of adulation and I need that attention from people, I don't quite understand it. And for the, uh, to me, I see it as a sickness. I think it's, it almost seems like the Norma Desmond type though would rather be famous than rich. Like if she would give away her money, if right. she could just uh, have I, the spotlight on her. But what I'm saying is, I think which literally the spotlight is on her when <laughs> they actually exactly. put it on her while they're there on that movie I'm set. Saying, now, well, I guess what I'm saying is the entertainment industry creates that creature. That goes, it's almost like your reality TV person. Let's call it maybe something more relatable now. Where it, it's a psychosis, in a sense, that an, an industry creates. Like, that woman on her own would just be a happy-go-lucky, funny woman, probably. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't be rich, but she wouldn't be crazy. Right. <laughs> she got into this industry that literally, like, warped her mind. Yeah, I mean, she is a product of that era yes. in Hollywood. Yes. And, and we still have products of Hollywood today, but I think this is such just uh, an unapologetic look at, at these you know, yeah. monsters that we've created. You mentioned Michael Jackson earlier, yeah. but I didn't even think of until you brought that up. But yeah, it's that eccentricity. I've got all the money in the world and I could do whatever the hell I want sort of thing. And hey, the chimp isn't, isn't as bad as it could be. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, what? What's? Uh, why are we enabling her in this movie? Like, why are why are the characters enabling her? I think because they. I think 
because they do love her. Yeah, they don't want to see her hurt. Like, she, they, they, oh, yeah, there's, they're they not gonna, they don't have the heart hurt. to tell she's her that evil. Right? No. Yeah, she's not. She doesn't want to hurt anyone. She has this desire to get this adu- again. This adulation, this spotlight shown on her. She, of course, she gets it. But that's, I mean, how good is that? That last two seconds. You know, yeah, she was go leading up to this part. In this film, yeah. even that very last <laughs> shot is so creepy. Yeah, it's like, like her, her claw is reaching yeah. out because the yeah. kind of equator is like yes. a, a monster, and so she's walking towards the yes. screen. Like she is coming towards us, she's coming for us, and she's reaching yeah. out to us. And I'm like, want to cover my face? Exactly. Yeah. And so it was like I, it was the absolute best shot, uh, and I, I I've often cited as one of my favorite examples of most memorable or most effective, you know, what is the, the very last shot of a movie? Right, right? Yeah. Never mind the last scene. This is literally the last shot, which really, you know, takes everything we've learned through the whole movie and it culminates. <laughs> yeah. in I'm so this glad it dissolves. I mean, is because it, I want it to yeah. go away. Is, is it, uh, is it uh, how the entertainment industry can consume us? They literally reach out and yeah. grab us and like strangle us like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. She's I mean, reaching for your attention. Yeah. She wants your eyes. Yeah. She wants the eyes of the world on her yeah. like it used to be. Yeah. So I have a, I have a, a couple of more questions. Uh, one's funny because you're the, you're the Sunset Boulevard expert. Yeah, one is well. So obviously, uh, uh, Joe puts his car in the garage, but at some point, not much longer, about forty five minutes to an hour in, the repo guys show up. Did Norma call in the car to get it taken away? Ooh, I that's a to trap Joe. I don't think we have an, enough evidence in the in the film to like one hundred percent know. Uh, either way, I do think that um, that you bring up something that I've never thought about before, and I think it's uh, it's a fascinating concept to think right, that yeah. that Norma actually called them because I mean otherwise how would they have known it was down this long driveway in right. a garage yeah. and she you know dismisses him during her bridge game she knows and right yeah so I think. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna I go like with that. that. I, yeah, that's, I think I think she called them. Yeah, especially because when she gets out, she's like, "Oh, so it's not life and death, <laughs> you know? It's just, it's just like it's just a car, you know." So yeah, I, I definitely like that. Second question is far less fascinating and intriguing, <laughs> but there's that New Year's Eve party, which I thought was kind of. I actually thought this was a nice scene. He goes mm-hmm. to this really happening party. And uh, I don't know if we're going to get into the the Betty Schaefer I wanted semi romance a little bit, yeah. Uh, but uh, they're the laughing girls on the phone. Anyway, they go off, and she's like, "I think Betty Schaefer comes back. She's like, yeah, you put uh, a cough drops in grape juice, and that's the drink. Is this the genesis of the purple drink?" <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> guess it? You, you left. That was your. Nice. That was your punchline. Huh? <laughs> you could barely get it out. No, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I will always think about it now, though. Yes, thank you. We, I cannot erase that from my brain now. Uh, that's uh, but... all I had. <laughs> oh, I totally lost my train of thought now. Sorry, um, it. <laughs> no, it's quite all right. <laughs> One um, question, another, uh, no, it was good. It was. It's all good. What's uh, so? What is with this uh, Betty uh, Schaefer subplot? 
I mean, I know it's essentially, you know, leads to his murder at the end because, I mean, she finds out about the script they're writing together and everything like that. So she's upset about that. Before answers, I just want to say these two characters, at least the two actors, have a lot of chemistry with one another. Much more than uh, than William Holden and Gloria Swanson have together. They have zero chemistry. But these other two, you feel it. Mm -hmm. And you want them sort of to be together. From the, even before they're, you know, quote, friends, yeah. when they first meet each other uh, in like, uh, yes. Sheldrick's <laughs> office, you can still tell that there is chemistry between those two characters, yeah. yes. It's like bleeding off the screen tension, right? Yeah, definitely. Her character is really important because she is, uh, essentially, she, she's kind of like his moral compass. Yeah. And so that that that's the... Uh, she's not quite like a Jiminy Cricket conscience, but she but she is. I think she is, you know, his moral compass because yeah. she's the one who gets him to write again. You know, yeah. and she is the one who reminding him of who he is. Yes, yeah. Like she's trying to keep him in the real world yeah. while he is being you know continuously sucked into yes, yes. Norma's world. And so, had it not been for Betty. He probably wouldn't have died, uh, but you know, had it not been for Betty, we you know he would have uh, he wouldn't have died because he would have just been sucked into Norma's yeah. world, and so it's when you know his worlds uh, like two, these two different worlds. It's kind of like you know uh, having uh, your uh, your your two girlfriends or your two boyfriends. You know these are two worlds that are never supposed to meet, <laughs> and what happens when they meet? Yeah, right, well, yeah. somebody, somebody dies. Because <laughs> he's he's definitely you know pushing back on her at first like he doesn't want this to happen you know he's because he's comfortable yeah, yeah he's comfortable and you know even brings up like we need to stay three feet apart from each other and everything like that he's being very gentleman gentlemanly about well, but it not, and- <laughs> though, because he's like always going it seems like every time they hang out he's going in for a kiss but yeah. it doesn't it's like not doing yeah it. well he's probably not getting any with uh yeah, yeah norma so i mean you you can't i mean well, yeah. how long i mean she's only 50 so she should be sexually active so i i'm think I, i'm gonna disagree hey, blanche I think- Devereaux could arch her back until it touches her heels <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually i think they're sexually active i you do i okay. do i but i mean they're cuddling on well, the there's couch there's no risk of pregnancy Oh, that, yeah. Uh, so bonus post, there, you know. <laughs> you can just uh, not worry about the cleanup. Um, there. No, no, no rhythm method there. I, <laughs> oh, I, uh, I do. Oh god, I don't Whoa, even know. Man, what, it's actually active, yes or no? You got to. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So two to one here. Uh, that's just okay. something they do to pass. That's just something they do to pass the time. It has nothing it's to like do with. Just like a bridge game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just something uh, they got to do. I've had a few uh, uh, champagnes. It's time to just let's see what this. Uh, girl who's got going up. <laughs> I, I like I like the device they use for um how the, how the doors don't lock. Yeah. Yes. Um cuz it gives it, it you know gives you an gives him an illusion that you know he can he can leave anytime he wants, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's kind of what that's bringing up is he can leave anytime he wants, but he still is trapped. He's still locked in even without physical locks you know it's it's a it's a mental thing which i think is cool unhappy throughout the entire film i guess maybe that's what bothers i never see is there a moment of joy from him at any point yeah when uh when he and betty uh you get together we think they're going to get together because she's uh willing to break it off with her fiance who's his best friend 
And so we even have like that whole deception there, right. which I think is another like He's great layer guy in to the this world. movie. Yeah, nicest guy in the world, but I just I just don't love him. I you know, I love you. So you think he and was happy in, in that moment? He was when they were walking through the sound stage, I think that was the That's the another layer of moment. not living in reality though. Oh, yeah, and also that's a, that I just realized now because I saw La La Land before I saw this, but Sorry, that's a, I didn't mean to cut you off. Here, that's but. a callback to when La La Land Mia and uh, Sebastian are walking through yes. uh, the stu- sound studio. Like that's Okay, so I would agree that that uh, that is a moment of happiness, but it's so fake and fleeting. But okay. All right. I think I mean, it was genuine for a moment. I think it was just very short-lived. Yeah. yeah. Because just shit hit the fan. I mean, as soon as he gets home. I mean, it's totally unfair to her. All of... I mean... To, well, to, I think uh, he... To Betty. To Betty, Betty yeah. Yeah. Had Norma not discovered the screenplay, I think he would have ran away with Betty. So I think there, there were genuine feelings there, however shortly lived, but, you know... It the the really... worlds collided when she saw the name on the screenplay. Right. But I even wonder if even that, the Betty Schaefer, it would just have been a, an affair. I mean, did he really... She seemed like she was ready to throw her life away for him, but uh, I don't... Th- he was like, yeah, you're, you know, you're hotter than normal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really... Yeah. I don't care that uh, much. She was I mean, being dealt very, very poorly. Like, she was... He was she was... Um, she was uh, just a device. Yes. Yeah. I and I feel that. like, uh, again, I feel like he's very guilt-ridden, but you can rid yourself of that guilt. He chooses to wallow in that guilt in everything he does. I, I, I just find myself frustrated with him. I guess yeah. maybe that might be my biggest problem with the film. Uh, although I love it, and I think it's fantastic, and I love the commentary it makes. I get really mad at Joe Gillis. Every mm-hmm. uh, uh, many of his choices. I mean, is that done on purpose? You think, or uh, maybe? But yeah. I just I'm so angry with yeah. <laughs> like what you. So I understand you're you're brooding, you're guilty, but you don't really like stand up for yourself yeah. and make a choice most of the time. You're just kind of you're a ping pong. Well, I think part of part of that is because he was supposed to be. And, and still is, in many respects, a prime representation of a starving artist. And so he embodies uh, the, the the tragic life that we often associate with starving artists. And screenwriters in particular could truly identify with him because, uh, because of the grief and depression that he's going through. And if you are, you know... Um, if you are clinically depressed, it doesn't go away overnight. And I think, you know, we're dealing with, I'd love to get a psychologist, you know, perspective, you know, on these two characters. Right, I think yeah. we're dealing with two people you know, whom are clinically depressed. They are yeah. expressing it in different ways, but I think that's well, why Norma he for is. Sure. She should be locked away yeah, somewhere. Always uh, kind of unhappy um, because it uh, okay. is, because I, you know, he's dealing with, cause you just can't, you know, if it, you know, you, you it just doesn't you just don't turn it off. Yeah. I mean if you could just turn it off then you know maybe uh, it's some other milder form of depression but you're not clinically depressed. But yeah. I think they're both at a state of mind in which you know it could be you know diagnosed as such. I think it uh speaks on just how you always need to be, need to be working towards something so like you could have been the most famous actress in the world 
but you're no longer working. It's like, where do, where do I go from here? Yes, I was famous one day, but I still need to work towards something. Yes, I wrote this screenplay for this movie, and it did great, and I still need to be working towards something. Like, people, you know, have goals. Once they meet that goal, it's not going to satisfy them. It's all about continuing to get to that goal. And I know some people have spoken out about, you know, uh, Robin Williams, how he, you know, got to that high, you know, he won an Oscar. He's, you know, beloved by so many people. And, you know, he's just, he still needed fulfillment. He still needed to get, yeah. He had his own demons. Right. Yeah. Being the funniest human being alive. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just like, you know, where do I go from here? You know? And so, so I think it definitely speaks of, on that. Is it is the lesson of the Joe Gillis character that you you if you want to live in this world, you inevitably have to make bad choices. And you have to pick You have to play the, the game. Of, yeah. 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 I, I can't I can't expect too much from him because everyone who lives in this world has to do these things like Maybe the the Norma character is a symbol for going to work for uh, Warner Brothers or Paramount. Maybe it's something else there too. And it's not just falling in love. It's like it. I have to do this thing to you know to sort of. I haven't. I, I'm an idealist, but in order to make money or to do something else, I need to like sell my soul to this corporation or this woman. It's a, sort of the same she, thing. The lesson that we learn from Norma is. Uh, you know, be careful if you identify with your work or you identify with your celebrity too yeah. much because it can go away. Right. And, if, it, and yep. if that is where your identity is tied, it could plunge you into some psychosis. I mean, because let's face it, you know, the, the, the TV cameras at the very end of the movie are documenting her psychological decline into insanity. I know insanity is a legal term. No, she's declining into (laughs) insanity. I think insanity fits legal or otherwise. I mean, it's happening. (laughs) This woman is filthy rich and wow, not any description of normal. It's no, she didn't. Um, she you know, didn't have friends. You know, she. I mean, she had like uh, the uh, the waxworks, but it doesn't seem like there's much of a relationship there because they were kind well, of perhaps in the same state of mind that she that she was. What is the waxworks? Uh, I kept hearing that during the oh, whole the, movie. Oh, uh, those uh, the the almost the dead bridge players yeah. that would uh, one uh, of them come was over. the uh, drugs. Uh, okay, life. Was, that's true. Yeah. I had no idea. Like every time they brought that up, I was like waxworks. I think he was like like talking wax, about wax museums. Like wax, or something? I think that's kind of what his joke was. Like wax museums. Like they uh, are they're, oh, they're yeah, basically they're old, dead. Yeah. Okay, it's gotcha. funny because in uh, of course vanity is a big thing in this film, and there you know yes. she only has pictures of herself. Yeah, and, uh, but it almost felt like her house was. Uh, like a set of her own funeral where you would mm-hmm. go to a place where it's full of pictures of that person. Oh, I love and that. Flowers. Yeah. She's essentially dead. Well, the or the sense. celebrity she once was right. is dead. That yeah. That person yeah. is and, dead. And since that's whom, you know, with whom she identified, she is ostensibly dead. Right. I love the idea of a funeral party, a funeral home. Uh, that that is I never thought about that before. That's really great. And it's that kind of plays on the is... plays on the fact of, you know, people live, hanging on to that past, clinging on to that past. <laughs> Dave's choking on his beer. Um and it's uh say what you will about last Jedi, but when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and here we go. Uh, one of my favorite lines from Last Jedi is, let the past die, kill it if you have to. You 
you know, and well, she could be, not, yeah, kill she could not well, kill it because if she killed yeah. the past, then she herself would she die, would, yeah. Yeah, she would or realize that she was dead. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point about the yeah, it being like a funeral for someone, and yeah, that's a mm. shrine to her old yeah. self. Yeah. So it's yeah, good point. Good. Wow, you're doing you're good at points today, Dave. Good job. I'm doing my best to impress <laughs> uh, our professor Ryan L. Terry. <laughs> good job. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, I pretty much said what I wanted to say yeah, overall. What uh, I mean is there anything else uh, you guys had any points any analysis no, you mean, can I think, think of uh, in you know uh, bringing my thoughts to a close that uh, you know this movie holds a very special place in my heart and uh, and so many others because it truly embodies the Latin inscription around Leo the Lion in MGM's logo. Leo the Lion, by the way, the uh, the famous lion was directed by Hitchcock. Okay. And so the uh, the Latin inscription around MGM's logo, which we've, we've all seen, but maybe we haven't read, is Ars Gratia Artis, which is Latin for art for art's sake. Mm. And so to me, this is one of the purest examples of artistic cinema. It, it served as a mirror to the dismay of the big producers of its day. It highlighted the industry at the time in ways that are still relevant today which is why we're still mesmerized uh by this film you know it's entirely possible that there are norma desmond's today and they're decaying estates you know watching their movies on tcm or amc under the delusion that they remain stars that command the attention of the world and yeah. uh, regardless if you're a filmmaker or a connoisseur of movies sunset boulevard captures the eyes and ears of all who peer into the world of wilder's hollywood and it continues to be a source of inspiration and entertainment today and for decades to come yeah definitely i'm so glad i you know finally was able to check out this movie i mean obviously as you know the famous scene you know i'm ready for my close-up and all that so so yeah i mean it definitely i i love old hollywood stuff and i love how again a 1950 movie you know peered into the behind the scenes stuff of hollywood and everything like that uh and just how crazy this industry can make people you know it's a holly weird as mike Mike and oscar (laughs) like to put it yeah holly weird indeed uh, last thing I want to say, which I ha- after everything we've gone through, is the idea of disintegration and decline. I think we haven't talked about yet. You're holding on to this past that is ending, and I think we all kind of have that fear. It's our personal into our lives. We're not the same people that maybe we used to be. We don't maybe live in the same country or civilization that might have been greater. And that's that feeling of decline, and you don't want to face reality that you are not the same guy. You're getting older. You're not as bright. You don't think, you know, you're not as funny or smart or attractive. Or you were born at the wrong time, Yeah, as Tony Soprano would say. It's a bit of a nightmare, this movie, the more I think about it. It is very much a nightmare. It's scary. You're going to wake up one day, and you're going to be Norma. That's what I fear. Yeah, we, think, we certainly have elements of, of horror in this. I mean, I certainly wouldn't <laughs> consider it a horror film, but we, we have hints yeah. uh, of horror or at least horror-adjacent elements uh, uh, in this film. But I love your uh, description of, of a nightmare. I think it's very fitting. And yeah. The problem is it's going to happen. We're all going to feel this way. We're all going to get old and get into this little black hole <laughs> and hope that the people that will come into our orbit are our loved ones and there are more than one person for us. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could Definitely. liken her to the the high school quarterback, you know, yeah. who 
even in his thirties is still reliving. It's like reliving the glory days of high school and just doesn't, doesn't move on. Back in high school, I could throw a football over them mountains. Jiffy lube, changing (laughs) the oil on, on your car as he's regaling you with stories of that high school football game 20 years ago. If coach would have put me in it, in this, I swear we would have taken state. So in uncle Rico, Napoleon dynamite in this show, we do a stars and popcorn rating one out of five at Ryan L. Terry. I'm sure you're familiar with this rating system. Uh, we will not make you go first, but I will go first. I'm going to go to this movie four stars and two buckets of popcorn. It's not a long movie. It's a. It's what is it? About two hours, two hours, five minutes. I think uh, it's right at about two hours. I think it's just uh, under. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Under, so yeah. it's fantastic quality. I feel like it, you know it's a 1950 movie, so I think you're going to lose some entertainment value. Kind of have to pay attention, especially to the dialogue. In yeah, the it's hard to follow. I didn't. I had to kind of rewind a little bit because I'm like, what? <laughs> rewind? Were you watching it on VHS? I'm yeah, Dave. Streaming. Uh, Come on, man. <laughs> scrub backwards. That's what he. I had to scrub backwards. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of minutes. Be like, okay. Get yeah. with the times. Gotta, See, you're stuck in the past. Yeah, you know? yes, exactly. <laughs> this is my nightmare. <laughs> 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 I'm myself here. Well, yeah, the 1950 the 1950s movie. People talked very differently, and their cadence was much different. And it's not just a. They're mm-hmm. sort of speaking quickly, but you're like, huh? I didn't even know the car thing until the second time around of what was actually going on. Anyway, uh, so, but um, entertainment value, I'm going to give it two out of five stars, but still a solid four out of five stars. I'm sorry, yeah. Two, yeah, out of, two popcorns. Two buckets out of five. Sorry, I'm. It's okay. I'm gonna go, uh, four stars and two buckets. What do you got, Ben? Um, yeah, I'm pretty much right with you there. I actually give this four stars as well. Uh, nice. Four out of five. I thought, uh, yeah, the quality of the movie is great. Uh, only critique, which isn't really a critique, is just I don't think it's aged too well. Uh, there's certain scenes that oh, are a little, be. yeah, a little bit, but uh, overall, just outstanding film. Uh, great, great quality. So four stars and uh, buckets of popcorn, entertainment value. Uh, I'll give it two and a half. Uh, I, I laughed a lot in this movie, and not like yeah. ironically. Like I thought there were some fun parts. Yeah, and, something we didn't know. bring up enough. This yeah. is fairly comedic. Film. Yeah, and there's a lot of dark comedy. Yeah, yeah. a lot of definitely. dark comedy. And that's a credit to Billy Wilder, I think. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. he, you know, uh, you wrote, you know, wrote comedy. Some like it hot is a fantastic yeah. comedy, and so he channels uh, some of that comedy, you know, uh, in here. There's uh, self-deprecating parts, there's sarcastic parts, there's even some th- some facetiousness. Certainly. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, but there's a there's a all of them. There's a dark, you know, kind of twist yeah. on on everything. Absolutely. So, Ryan, how would you rate this film? Uh, it is my second favorite film of all time. Oh, wow. So, uh, it's definitely five stars. And in all fairness, uh, as far as buckets of popcorn, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy that says, oh, it's five buckets of popcorn. Because you, know, you make some really good points about uh, you know, uh, the entertainment value. And I think the film has immense critical value, yeah. uh, but you know, critical value, entertainment value is not the same thing because there right. are plenty of great movies that are not great films, and so that's not a very good film. But boy, was that a good movie! <laughs> yeah. And the and the and the inverse is true. So I I, I give it five stars critically, uh, entertainment value. Uh, I would put it at uh, three out of five. Okay, because yeah. it uh, you know, isn't. I don't watch it to be entertained. Right, I, I yeah. watch it to be mesmerized and study yeah, and so exactly. yep. I, and I don't believe in decimals so it's either so it's uh, <laughs> so it's not quite high enough to be to be four certainly not highly entertaining uh, so it can't yeah. be five so I'm gonna go with five stars yeah. 
in uh, three buckets of oil that, Redenbacher popcorn. Ooh, there <laughs> you go. Nice. We had a very spe- right here. Very specific <laughs> over here. All right, so that's it. Uh, Ryan, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RLTerry1, uh, Instagram RL underscore Terry, and you can visit my blog at RLTerryRealView.com, where I do have an article on Sunset Boulevard uh, that's real with, with two E's. And uh, yeah, join the conversation. I uh, love meeting uh, new tweeps uh, on Twitter. And I, if uh, you're not already following me, uh, you know, please do. Uh, I, I'll follow you back. And you know, I just want to incorporate you uh, into my conversations that I have with uh, all these uh, amazing podcasters that you know I interact with on a weekly basis, and those that I actually get to sit down with on their shows, and uh, connecting you listeners with uh, outstanding content creators. And uh, you just uh, want to make you feel part of a community because that is one of the things I found in my uh, interaction uh, with everyone on Twitter yeah. is that other than some some trolls here and there, there's a <laughs> there's a large degree of community and yeah. um, so and it's movie a, lovers to be a part of it. Like guild almost, yeah. And it's great having you here, yeah. in the flesh talking yep. movies. <laughs> Honestly, this has been a fantastic experience for me. Talking about your favorite, one of your favorite movies, or your second yeah. highest rated. First viewing for both of us. It's a fantastic... I'm so glad we did it. Yeah, so definitely. glad I watched it. Yeah. So glad we talked through this stuff. But yeah, Ryan, we really appreciate you coming on these last two shows and uh, talking movies with us. Yes. It's been a blast. And uh, we'll definitely have to do it again. So. Great special guest. When you're ready to drink alcohol, you are booked here. Yep. <laughs> Possibly before. Okay, but is this, is this the end of the show? Is I've, I'm turning into a pumpkin uh, as we uh, speak. Uh, yes, Dang. it's the end of the show. You can follow us at Blockbuster Cast. And, can, uh, we, can we end the um, show? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and end the show now. Yes, um, all right. For Dave and Ryan, I'm Ben. And as always, grab some popcorn, grab some snacks. We'll catch you guys at, at the, the movies. movies.